The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory Glory to you, Lord Lord Christ. Christ. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. Well, good morning. Thank you for being here with us this morning. Thank you to those who are joining us online as well. Will you please pray with me? Father, we do ask now as we come to your word that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our hearts and minds to understand what you want to communicate to us and how you want to change us. We pray the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, for you are our rock, you are our redeemer. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, we are coming towards the end of our Philippians series that we have entitled The Possibility of Joy. And Tim has already mentioned that this church that Paul's writing to, the Philippian church, that they were in a good place. They didn't have any major doctrinal scandals. They didn't have a leadership vacuum in which the leaders were vying over who was in charge of the church. They didn't have any moral scandals plaguing the church. They were were healthy. And now they do not seem like the train wreck that many of the churches in the New Testament that Paul is writing to seem to be. And you could be forgiven for thinking that this church had finally arrived. That the Philippian church, they looked complete. And as Paul nears the end of this letter, before he gives some personal addresses and encouragements and prayers, he starts pushing his own character as a model to the Philippian church. That's what he's saying here in verses 12 through 16. This is how I live. Now come on and join me in verse 17. Follow me. Push on to this level of Christian maturity. So he gives us a question from the text this morning. Two things that we'll be trying to answer. One, what is Christian maturity? And then two, how should we pursue it? What is Christian maturity and how should we pursue it? When I was growing up in our home, when I was younger, our our home always seemed to be in a constant state of remodel. My dad was a general contractor, but he was also an excellent craftsman, which meant that no one that we could hire could ever do as good of a job as he could do in remodeling our house. So our remodels literally took forever. We were always remodeling something And it was like our house was in a constant state of unfinish. I think we lived for nearly a year, maybe even more, with no floors, just walking around on plywood subfloor, which is very uncomfortable on bare feet. I don't know if you know that, but it's true. But of course, because of this, we never had anyone over, not family friends, not our own friends as kids, because our house was never ready. It was incomplete. It was always imperfect. We couldn't let anyone in. In fact, it wasn't until we eventually moved to a home that was already completed and finished, that didn't need remodeling, in which we began to have guests over more frequently. And I know I was just talking with someone who was doing communion prep in between services, and they were talking about how they are going through a midst of remodel themselves in their home and living in the midst of that chaos. I know some of you have been there, but I know speaking to many of you, many more of you, that that is actually the current state of your soul right now. 
it feels imperfect. It feels incomplete. When you go inside spiritually, emotionally, things are unfinished. You hate walking around in there. You cannot or you won't let anyone else inside. Is that you? Do you feel that way? Look around the room for a moment. Like, literally, look around the room. Fix eyes with other people. Connect for a second. Do you think they feel the way that you do? The answer is yes. But here's what we hear as pastors often. Everyone seems so put together here. So perfect. No one is as unfinished and incomplete as I am. I mean, it's a pastoral trope. Tim has mentioned this many times. Maybe it's specific to all saints, congregation in some ways. But here's the thing that I've noticed. When a house is being remodeled, even if it's gutted down to the very studs, stripped and torn away, if you're standing on the street, it might look perfectly immaculate from the outside with the landscape and the grass in all the perfect places. But people live on the inside of a house. So do you feel unfinished and imperfect like me, like her, like him? Or maybe like the Apostle Paul. Notice what the Apostle Paul says here. The Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the entire New Testament, right? He says here in verse 12, I have not obtained this. I am not perfect. The Greek word here is teleos, which means finished, complete, perfect. I am not that yet. Paul is saying, I have not arrived yet. I am in the midst of my own remodel. I haven't made it my own. Listen to all the words in these sections here from verses 12 to 16. How many times he hits this same theme theme again and again and again. I press on. I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't made it my own. I'm straining forward, pressing on to the goal, pressing on for the prize. Well, what's he pressing on for? Verse 14, the upward or heavenly call of God in or to Christ. (laughs) What does that mean? It's the call of God into union with Christ and transformation into Christ's character, his heavenly character. That's what Paul's saying. That's what Paul's pressing on for, to become all that Jesus has called Paul to be, further up and further in. So what is Christian maturity? Paul answers it here in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. What way? The way that he had just been talking about incomplete, on the way. Paul's actually doing a play on words here. Mature here in verse 15, it's the exact same word as the word perfect in verse 12, teleos. In other words, what Paul's saying, let those of you who are perfect think that you are not yet perfect. Let those of you who are mature think that you are not yet mature. That true, true perfection and maturity is believing that you have not arrived. Christian maturity is knowing that you are an incomplete and imperfect pilgrim traveling up the mountain toward conformity with Jesus. When I was going through seminary, I remember having an older speaker came in and spoke to all of us pastors in training, and he was talking about what maturity in the Christian faith looked like. And he was saying as he's gotten older, I think at this point he was in his 60s, and he had made progress on stopping or controlling certain sins in his life, what he continued to find is that that sin or a version of that sin would just pop up spring up in a new direction, in a new area, and in a different way. I hated hearing that. I was 
how exhausting, I thought. I don't want that failure. I don't want that brokenness in my life. I don't want the struggle. And one day it occurred to me that that man was speaking of sin in a way that was totally foreign to me. He wasn't afraid of it. He wasn't trying to hide it or make it look like he was over it. He wasn't flaunting his sin, but he wasn't surprised by it. And I realized sin wasn't that man's focus. Christ was. But in my life, sin had all the attention. And Christ had just become a tool toward my goal of conquering my own sin and looking right and good. What I wanted verse 14 in Philippians chapter 3 to read was something more like this. I press on toward the goal for the prize of not having anything wrong with me so I can deserve God's love. Maturity in my young mind meant not needing to struggle with sin anymore because I had arrived, because I was finished. It was a false maturity. It was a false Christian maturity especially because it had no humility. And what it looks like is this. First, you become frustrated with other people. Why? Well, they haven't arrived to where I've arrived yet. So you have little grace for them, and you think, just get yourself together already like I have. And their sin or their brokenness surprises you or disgusts you. And then secondly, you begin to believe, well, you don't need change. I've already got it together. Look at my landscape in my grass. Everything on the outside looks good. I don't need to enter into the painful place of transformation. In other words, you become what Paul talks about in verse 18. Notice in verse 18 here, the people that he mourns over and has tears over, they stand, he says, as enemies of the cross of Christ. Notice he doesn't say enemies of Christ. He says enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, what he's saying is apparently if you do not need Christ to go to the cross on your behalf, then of course you're not going to enter into the transforming way of the cross. True Christian maturity, however, is centered on the cross because it is a place of unimaginable humility for us and for God. We discover there our deepest imperfections and deepest failures. But we also discover the God of the universe meeting us there and claiming us as his own through the disgraceful death of the cross, finding that God enters into and takes our deepest imperfections and failures onto himself. So please see how Paul grounds all of his statements here in verses 12 through 16 about pressing on and straining forward. How does he ground them all in verse 12? Don't miss this. Why does Paul press on? Because Jesus Christ has already made me his own. In other words, Paul says in his disarray and chaos and rebellion, Jesus Christ grabbed onto him and said, you are mine, Paul. You are a home that I want to live in. And so Paul strives and presses on to let Christ transform the things in him that Christ had already come to die for. Let me say that again to let Christ transform the things that Christ already came to die for. You see, humility in needing Christ to die for you on the cross is directly related to our own humility in letting Christ transform the broken things in our life through the way of the cross. So Christian maturity is understanding 
that Christ is transforming us and we are all imperfect and incomplete pilgrims heading up the mountain towards the upward call of Christ. So then how do we pursue it? How do we pursue it? And we get in this passage here, three basic imperatives that come from this section of scripture. Paul has an implied imperative in verses 12 through 16 here, and it's press on, press on, keep going. Then he has an imperative in verses 17 through 21 that is to imitate or keep your eyes on others who are walking this way, or as I would say, focus. And then finally, this last one comes in verse one of chapter four. Stand firm thus. Stand in this way that I've just been talking about. Stay on this path. So press on, focus, and be firm. You notice that all three of those, they are essentially encouragements to incomplete and imperfect pilgrims to keep moving forward and upward toward imitation of Christ. A couple of years ago, we were in Colorado with some friends and we were we were hiking. We went on a six-mile hike to a waterfall and back. It was called Browns Creek. Addie, I think at the time, was four years old. Some of you are already beginning to see the problem. <laughs> By the time we had gotten into mile three of this hike, we had eaten all of our snacks. We had one-fourth of all of our water left, and Addie had ridden on someone's back three-fourths of the way already. It was 90 degrees outside, and we came to a fork in the road. We didn't know which way to go, and the kids didn't want to go, period, And then a couple of people on horseback came riding by and they pointed us into the right direction. And they said, yes, stay on this path here to the left and you'll get there. In fact, there's a beautiful waterfall up front. You don't want to miss it. So keep going. It gets better once you get past this part. In other words, they said, be firm, stay on this path, press on. It's worth it. Focus on what's ahead of you. And I wish I could tell you it was smooth sailing from that point on. (laughs) In fact, I really wish I could say when the kids saw the waterfall, uncontrollable tears of joy poured down their face. Instead, the rest of the way was like a Herculean effort that was, you know, it was like Tolkien lore, basically. In fact, by the time we came off the mountain, Addie, I think, had gone totally feral. She was stripped down to her shorts. She was covered in dirt, tears streaking her face. Everybody was grimy and exhausted, but we had made it. And for those who had eyes to see, we had seen the beauty. We had attained the prize and reached the goal. But, you know, we needed each other the entire way to keep us pressing on. Not just that we had to keep shifting Addy from back to back to back, but really we had to look each other in the eyes and say, come on, keep going, press on, stay on this path. In verse 17 here, Philippians 3, Paul says, imitate me put your eyes on or give attention to those who are also living as imperfect pilgrims. You need people to show you the way to keep you going. In other words, you have to let people inside your house, your spiritual and emotional home. You need people who have already experienced Christ's remodeling work in their own lives to encourage you, to let you know that what is happening is normal. Christ is breaking out this wall. It's okay. He is tearing down your ego. He is changing you. I have felt this. You will survive this. You have to let them in to see the work that must be done in you. Ian Cron tells a story of uh, going to a 12-step program for drug addiction. One day, a new woman who hadn't been in the group before gets up to share her story of her addiction to meth. Now, normally during this section, if you've ever been to a 12-step program like this, it's all very almost familiar and repetitive. Hi, my name is Josh. I'm an alcoholic. Something similar to that. And they tell their story. But when this woman stood up 
she told a story that was so awful that no one in the room had heard something like this before about selling children, her own children to get a fix, other things that she had done that just made people's eyes roll into the back of their heads. And she finished and just stood there. Normally people clap or raise their hand and say, you know, I have a similar story. Something like that happened to me, but no one did anything. They were too stunned. In the back of the room, there was this ancient heiress from Connecticut. And she had actually attended, it was part of the first group that Bill Wilson put together many, many years ago in the 1930s. And she was back there. She always just wear these elegant, beautiful gowns like a true heiress. And she just chain smoked in the back, just puff after puff. And into that silence in that room, she just sat back and went, the word of the Lord. And everybody said, thanks be to God. You see, she wasn't saying that that woman's experience was scripture. She wasn't saying that place was the church. She wasn't saying that what that woman had did was good. Rather, she had said, this woman opened her home up to all of us in its disarray and chaos and pain. And what she heard back was that this is the place where Christ is at work in her life. Moving in, rearranging, fixing, and healing the broken places. Her vulnerability was met with love. Was this woman at the trailhead of Browns Creek? Maybe, sure, but she was on the path. And here, just like those horse riders for us when we were in Colorado, this heiress said to that woman in her own way, press on, be firm, focus. Christ is at work. I know this woman's story may not be yours, but what she received is what you need to receive. The encouragement to press on to the upward call of God in Christ. You need to be reminded, as Paul reminds the Philippians here in verse 20, that your home is in heaven with Christ. That is where your true citizenship is if you are united to Jesus by faith and through baptism. And as John 14 says, he is preparing a place for you. And he is and will transform your lowly body your lowly past, your lowly progress, your lowly checklist that Tim talked about last week. And he will take all that and he will transform it into glory, something that has weight and meaning and value if you will let him. So press on, focus, be firm on the path. There's a path of joy that leads to joy. Here's what I mean. What could be more soul-crushing than to tell someone that the demons of your past will never let you go, that you will never change, that things will never get better and you will never be better. Instead, what Paul says here in verse 13 is that he is forgetting the things that lie behind. He's becoming free from his past and free from it. And in verse 20, we await a savior who will come and certainly and finally transform us. Tim said that joy is the taste of the divine life in the present. And the transformation that Jesus is doing in our lives is the promise that God is changing us into people that can live in the divine life constantly and at all times. So the further up you go into the upward call of Christ, my friends, there is more joy to be had because you will have more of Christ, more conformity to his character and love and to his very life. Last thing, 
Our Old Testament passage from Zechariah here comes from chapter 9. When the pandemic started, I took a deep dive into Zechariah. It's a beautiful book, and I fell in love with it because it's written to a people who are waiting. The nation of Israel had come back from Babylon. They had come back to the nation of Israel, back to the land that God had promised them. But the walls weren't built yet. The temple wasn't built yet. Nothing had been sort of restored and renewed. They came back with a taste of the redemption that God was going to give them, but had not yet come in full. So they were awaiting, essentially, a savior like us and the Philippian church. So the book is full of promises and encouragements to press on, to focus on what God is doing and will do, to keep on the path. And chapter 9 has always gripped me because it's full of all of these allusions to the new covenant and what God is going to do in Jesus once Jesus comes. Like verse 15 here about those as if they were drunk with wine is an allusion to the Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And then the altar being covered in full is the totality and sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. That salvation will be totally accomplished through Jesus' own sacrifice that the Lord will save them. And in verse 17 here, this beautiful picture of the Eucharist. Grain, bread, will make the young men flourish and new wine the young women. This table here is a table for pilgrims. It's a meal for people in need who know they are in need. So stand firm here. Here the grain is crushed but then transformed into bread. The grapes are smashed but transformed into wine. Here we are reminded that Christ was broken but resurrected. This is a reminder of transformation that if you're united by faith to Jesus and through baptism, this is your way too. Pulled apart but put back together. Remodeled after the image of Christ. This bread sustains us as we go on our pilgrimage. This jo- the wine brings us joy to rejoice, to press on in the upward call of Christ. We are focused here on where we are headed, kneeling beside our other fellow travelers next to us to a feast in God's presence where all things are made new. Our lowly bodies, the lowly bodies of our brothers and sisters at the feast of Zion. Let those of you who are mature think this way. We are imperfect and incomplete pilgrims. Press on. Focus. Be firm. Amen. Father, we do ask that you would enable us by your Holy Spirit to live into the upward call of your Son, Jesus Christ, that by your Spirit you would enable us to be transformed more and more into his life and character and image. And Father, we do pray this in his name, who is our Savior and our Lord and our coming King. Amen.